listeners, welcome to Pixels and Ink. Uh, Dave and I are sitting here, and we just finished recording. I think one. Of, I don't mean to single out people, but that was one of my th- most favorite episodes. Yeah, what you guys are about to hear is just mind blowing. We're gonna, yeah, we're still really sitting here, just like I don't know, spinning around in our chairs and like <laughs> yeah. trying to get a hold of ourselves. So, what are we talking about today? All right, so today we have a guest named Dave, not our Dave, but actually a buddy of Dave's, who's going to be talking about 3D printing. And not only does he talk about the technology, I mean, he just has extensive knowledge in the field. Yeah. So 3D printing is something that was kind of new to me until I met Dave um, a little while ago, maybe about five or six years ago. Um, I've known him for about 10 years now, maybe a little bit longer I'm than really that. I'm really happy you know him because yeah. this is good. And, I'm psyched. And about five years ago or so, I really started to tune in more to 3D printing. And I've always been interested in it because I thought there was some sort of relationship between 2D printing and 3D printing, but I just wasn't really sure where that overlap is. Um, but about uh, two months ago, we were talking. I was actually at his place in Texas when we were out there for mm-hmm. uh, what was the show? Uh, it was D Scoop, right? Yep. Yeah. And <laughs> I wasn't there. Uh, no, so you subject. weren't. Where were you again? Shh. <laughs> Buying shoes? No. No. I was at Coachella. That's right, Coachella. <laughs> I know. I didn't forget. Sorry, listeners. Let's yeah. get back to the topic. <laughs> Aside. So uh, we were talking, and he started to tell me about some of the use cases that he's seeing in his day to day work. And all of a sudden, I started to be able to see those connections more clearly than I had in the past. And I think it was shortly thereafter that I talked to you, got your approval to get them on the show because I got to run everything past you. <laughs> and uh, here we are. And um, yeah, like Mackenzie said, we just finished recording this uh, this session with Dave, and it's just uh, we're, our minds are just blown. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Dave. Uh, this is Dave Garola from Stratasys, and uh, let's get into it. Yep. Enjoy. Hey, Dave. Welcome to Pixels and Ink. Thank you so much for joining us. I just wanted to start out by asking what we typically ask invitees. Tell us a little bit about yourself when you're not working. So families, hobbies, things you like to do in your spare time. Yeah, so thank you very much for having me. Um, I uh, like to think of myself as a pretty active outdoors individual. I uh, grew up in a small town uh, in uh, Southern California and definitely grew up... uh, doing a lot of things uh, outdoors, building things. So I love working on old classic cars, and I uh, consider myself a constant tinkerer. So uh, I was one of those kids that constantly pulled things apart and tried putting them back together, and I still like to think I do that as an adult as well. So you were rambunctious. Yeah, you could, you could <laughs> say that. My parents, my parents probably spent more money uh, trying to actually fix the things that I took apart than <laughs> I uh, fixed them. And do you have any children now? Yep. Yeah. So uh, I've been uh, married uh, for quite a while, and uh, at least in my in my uh, time frame, been married quite a while. I have uh, a daughter that just turned four, um, and then a son that is uh, a little over a year and a half, and one on the way. Uh, we're due with our uh, third in uh, about a month, so looking forward to that. Are they rambunctious like you were? Uh, not yet. Uh, they're rambunctious in their own uh, interesting ways, as kids will be. So uh, we, we definitely uh, have fun with them and uh, enjoy the time we get to spend with them. Cool. And another thing that I know about you, Dave, that our listeners probably don't know about me either, is that uh, like me, you were also homeschooled. Is that right? Huh. Yes. Yeah, that's that's something that uh, a lot of people don't know about me. And uh, it's something that, uh, Dave, you and I love to have uh, uh, conversations with other individuals. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that's been uh, I think that's definitely been something that uh, I've enjoyed. Uh, so, like I mentioned, uh, I grew up on uh, uh, basically uh, a ranch-style uh, property. Uh, we had plenty of uh, land, and, and our neighbors had tons of orchards. And so, uh, I love to to think of my uh, childhood playground being the orchards and uh, you know the riverbeds and things like that. So, it's uh, definitely something that I enjoyed, and also something that allowed me to uh, be a lot more independent. Um, I think that was something that uh, was ingrained uh, throughout being homeschooled is that uh, you gotta you got to figure out ways to do things on your own sometimes versus relying on your teacher or your uh, classmate. Well, one thing I've seen in you, Dave, as we've known each other for the past uh, like 10 years or so, is that you've taken that and you applied that to actually starting your own company, Grow It, uh, a number of years back. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about Grow It and kind of what you did with that company and the, the way that it got you into 3D printing? Yeah, so Grow It was a 3D printing service bureau. Um, and so basically what we did is we had uh, plenty of different types of technologies and we offered those as services to mostly engineering groups within larger corporations. 
Um, but uh, ultimately, that was started out of really a hobby. So I guess you could kind of kind of call it rambunctious there as well. That mm-hmm. uh, I just saw saw an opportunity, um, decided to pursue that opportunity with my then uh, business partner, and uh, very quickly thereafter, it, uh, it expanded into a full blown full blown company. So uh, what little people know about the company Grow It is that we actually started it as a, as a hobby to print bobbleheads and party favors, hmm. uh, primarily for the wedding industry and uh, other industries that uh, my business partner was plugged into. So um, it's, uh, the, as the story goes, we, uh, we started the company to do that. Uh, it quickly expanded, and we never once printed a single bobblehead. <laughs> That's so uh, it's a, it was a fast, it was a fast, uh, fast-growing company for sure. So maybe Mackenzie, it's a good idea here to step back a little bit and talk about 3D printing like in general, right? Because mm-hmm. I assume that everybody knows what it is, but I know like my wife always tells me that stuff that Dave does, Dave Grohl specifically, it's like magic, right? Because it's just like so mind-blowing in some cases. So Dave, tell us a little bit about 3D printing um, kind of at, at a more high level so that people have an understanding of what it is and what it's used for. Yeah, that's that's a great uh, segue into why we actually called the company Grow It as well. So um, what 3D printing is, is if you can think of a 2D printer um, where you would uh, 2D print a, a single uh, shape uh, or object on a piece of paper, if you were to then layer multiple objects on top of each other, uh, then cut the uh, edges out of the object, then you'd basically be left with a 3D object. There's actually a 3D printer that, uh, that actually does that. Um, it uh, uses, uses office standard uh, paper and, and printer, ink and binder, and, and goes aw- around uh, actually uh, producing 3D objects that way. So <clears throat> the reason we called the company uh, Grow It is if you put a time-lapse camera on, uh, on these systems, and you can, you can find many time-lapse videos on YouTube uh, of 3D printers and whatnot, um, the objects that the machines are actually printing look like they're growing out of the ground, um, like a tree would grow uh, out of the ground. And so thus the name Grow It. And uh, in the industry, a lot of people, uh, instead of saying uh, creating the part or making the part, they will commonly say, oh yeah, let's just grow this part on this 3D printer. So um, it was a perfect name for the industry. And uh, in effect, that's the very basics of how 3D printing works. There's many different uh, technologies out there, uh, many established technologies, new technologies um, that are uh, coming out, but they all fundamentally work in a layer-by-layer process. The other way to look at it, if you're familiar with uh, um, like uh, DICOM data from CAT scans or MRIs or things like that, um, where they actually take layer-by-layer scans of your Mm. body, they affect piece that back together to then create the 3D object of your internal body or whatnot. Uh, so it basically, we're doing the same thing, but in physical form. Wow, that's interesting. It's definitely a new uh, technology to think about how uh, you can make things, but uh, it's a pretty revolutionary uh, technology as well, uh, as far as the implications it has for many different industries. So Mackenzie, have you seen this before? I did. I saw it one of the trade shows. Remember Mike and John and their team okay. had a little mini Oh, yeah, they have were, a small one. They were making a um, tool, um, a wrench, I think, or something like okay, that. Okay, that's right. Yeah, and so Mackenzie's talking about one of our one of our customers, right, that you're referring to that, yep. that had a, a 3D printer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because as, as Dave was describing it, I was watching your face, and you know, I could see like the wheels turning. And yeah. I think those were wheels, right? Yeah. <laughs> My brain's still working. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> and I was wondering if we uh, maybe we should uh, include a video inside the blog post that mm-hmm. shows somebody kind of what Dave was describing, that thing growing, mm-hmm. and, and give people an illustration of that. You know, Dave, one of the things that we want to try to get into here are the points of intersection between your industry with 3D printing and um, the, the big listener base that we have that's comprised of commercial printers because we do think that there's some overlap. And that's one of the things we want to explore on the show today is try mm-hmm. to figure out where is your industry going and what does it mean for the listeners that we have and uh, what kind of opportunities are there in the market. So maybe we should turn now to talking a little bit about Stratasys, the company that you currently work for, and give us kind of a view of 
you know, where you see the industry going through the eyes of Stratasys and what you think our listeners might need to know about the future. Yeah, so Stratasys, uh, the company I work for, is uh, based out of Minnesota. Um, and really, it was uh, one of the, the founding companies in the industry. Um, it was probably the, the second company to, to really release a, a technology in the industry. Um, and really, what you see uh, out in the general public uh, as far as 3D printers is based off of uh, old patents from Stratasys that have, uh, have been expired for about three, three or four years. Hmm. Um, the company originally started um, as really just prototyping. I mean, that, that's where 3D printing got its, uh, its foundational roots was in prototyping. So a company needs to do some kind of design iteration or things like that. Um, they would 3D print it versus trying to uh, create the end product and then have to go back and revise all their manufacturer tooling and all those, all those sorts of things. Um, so that's kind of where the, the roots of the entire industry was and naturally where uh, Stratasys uh, had its roots planted uh, over the last uh, uh, 20 years. Um, now, as uh, the industry is becoming more prevalent, uh, you know, more people are adopting it, um, Stratasys has taken a strong approach to uh, specialized uh, industries and uh, technologies. Um, so we now have a, a group of uh, team members that focus specifically on verticals, uh, whether it be aerospace or automotive or medical or things like that to really figure out where do we need to go with the technology to serve, best serve uh, those industries. Um, and that's where I think the entire industry is gonna be going. Um, as you start seeing more and more companies popping up, um, the machines are getting a lot more specialized, um, where in the past, you know, we might sell a machine to, like I mentioned, a, an automotive or a medical company or, a, or a, 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 a toy manufacturer, and that same machine would do the job for all of them from a prototype perspective. Now you're going to start seeing a lot more machines that are more specialized, more niche, um, two specific markets so that they, one, perform better, but then also perform very specific tasks that that industry needs. So <clears throat> that's definitely where, where Stratasys is uh, focusing on now. And uh, I think you, you'll be able to see a lot of uh, new, cool, creative products that we will be releasing over the next few years. That's really unbelievable. Actually, as you were speaking, I kept having questions in my head and then you kept answering as you continued yeah. the conversation. Um, <laughs> I was noticing on your website and if, as I was looking for images and stuff, I saw a lot in, in architecture. Is that still an industry or vertical that you guys see as an area of opportunity or what are your main focuses? I know you named a few. Yeah, so primarily we're focusing on the vertical industries that um, are needing new technologies. So architecture is definitely still a big uh, customer base for us, mm. but because we, we don't at least envision uh, ourselves at this point getting into building full houses um, where there are companies actually doing that. Uh, you, can, you can Google 3D printed house and wow. Dubai and other countries are doing a lot of that right now. Um, we, we just focus on the prototyping, right? The models of a physical house uh, at this point. So while it's not necessarily a vertical that we're focusing on, um, it's definitely a, a core uh, market segment uh, that we sell to. So our verticals that we're primarily focusing on uh, real quick is just where we see new technologies or new business uh, models beyond just like the prototyping uh, and things like that. Yeah, you drew this distinction between prototyping and production. And so one of the things that, that always blows my mind and one of the questions I always ask you when you give me one of your use cases is, is it for a production use or is it for prototype? So I'm just curious, you know, how often are the things that are being produced on the Stratasys machines for production versus for prototype purposes only? If you were to break it into percentages, I'd say that uh, the strong percentage probably even... 70 plus percent at least uh, is still being produced for prototyping. Okay. Um, but there are, there are a lot of uh, niche markets that are being used for production. So for example, dental is one of the verticals mm -hmm. that we focus on and uh, we sell, we sell machines specifically into the dental market uh, that are being used for production uh, use cases. So <clears throat> a lot of, uh, 
crowns, bridges, uh, things like that that uh, that companies would uh, would normally hand sculpt uh, are now starting to become more digital, and uh, the uh, dental technicians and whatnot are actually starting to print those objects versus uh, hand sculpt them. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, like I said, it's going to revolutionize or it has been revolutionizing uh, many different industries. Um, and, and as we get deeper and deeper into production, that's where the systems are becoming more and more uh, specific to those industries. So an industry that typically adopts technologies very early on in, in their development uh, stages is aerospace. And uh, that's where another area that we see a lot of uh, production going on. It's, you know, lower quantities, um, more unique, uh, lightweight parts, uh, things like that. Um, even to the point of revolutionizing the way that they, that they actually manufacture things. Um, so they, they fit prototyping, or sorry, they fit 3D printing. Uh, see, I'm still even stuck on prototyping <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, they fit 3D printing into... Uh, their production assembly lines um, into their uh, printing and branding uh, uh, on the aircraft um, into interiors, things like that uh, quite extensively. Interesting. That's really great. I was wondering, as you look forward in the years you know, to come, do you see that percentage bucket shifting? You know, So let's say it's 70% prototyping, 30% production right now. Do you see that transitioning to maybe flipping those or even moving a little bit closer towards the other way? Absolutely. Um, so one of one of our customers, uh, which I'm not sure if uh, if I can name, but uh, has built their entire uh, business model off of 3D printing for production. Wow. So as you start seeing a lot of uh, customers and business models like that, that's where you're going to start seeing a drastic change in that uh, percentage. Um, and you can definitely look at different industries. Um, and uh, and that percentage would change, you know. So one industry might be 60% production versus others, and and I'm I'm just estimating on uh, on that 70% based on my uh, my specific experience. So when we were getting ready for the show, Dave, we did some research and we came across a couple of well-named, uh, well-known names in our space in the in the commercial print space that people will know. For example, 4Over was one of the ones we came across. And it seems like they're starting to do more work in the 3D printing space. So as we explore the idea of where our listeners are intersecting with this new technology in 3D printing, what can you tell us about you know, what some of the companies like 4Over, some of the commercial print companies that uh, you may have worked with in the past, where do you see them applying this technology? What kinds of use cases are they um, using this towards? Yeah, so 4Over actually purchased uh, quite a few of our systems, uh, I want to say about a year and a half ago or so. Oh. Um, and the primary use case there was uh, to augment their marketing uh, services. So the, the industry has definitely changed quite a bit, and Stratasys has been uh, a big forefront. Uh, you know, a big area where, where I started noticing a, a big uh, interest in 3D printing uh, was when we uh, adopted a uh, full-color 3D printer uh, at Grow It. Um, you know, it went from being able to print just a single object in a single color to then being able to print something in full color uh, and uh, add a lot more depth and detail uh, to that. So uh, as you can see on our website, we just announced uh, about a couple months ago our new uh, Stratasys J750 system. And with that, comes a lot of marketing pieces such as there's a, a whole plate of sushi that looks like real sushi. Well, you can go over to say, for example, a four over and rather than just printing an image for a menu wow. of that sushi, they could effectively now print that entire plate of sushi for the customer to have, you know, going around. It's the entire industry, right? Wax food, wow. right? So that's another thing that uh, they could easily expand into from a marketing perspective. Wow. Now, I don't know if they are or not, but uh, I can't say specifically what they're using it for, but I do know that uh, marketing is a big part of uh, the print services uh, interjection with uh, 2D printing companies. 
Yeah, and I even think right now you sparked my so, my thoughts about promotional products where they, they do a lot of folded work, you know, where they print something that's just a 2D printed piece and then they take it and they, I think they have to manually start to fold it and cut it and do different things to make it into a shape. But now I guess with 3D printing, that would eliminate that manual intervention and allow you to just go ahead and create that promotional product from the ground up or to grow it, I guess, as you would say. Yep, absolutely. And one of the big things that it, that it offers too is the ability to uh, – I love how you use that that term again. You catch, catch it on quick I'm there. On. <laughs> um, the uh, the big thing is that it it allows more localized manufacturing even. So let's just say, say for example, um, Four Over is looking to uh, do more in packaging. Okay, well to to do packaging, usually you need larger quantities, and uh, to do the tooling and and all those other aspects that that makes you really focus on one type of package or one look of a package. Um, well, 3D printing can, can obviously change that. Um, so we're actually in one of our verticals, um, we are looking at how 3D printing can revolutionize tool and mold making. Um, so for example, they could create uh, a, a vacuum form Tool, the the tool that is usually created to create the uh, the clear plastic cover for a a, uh, a point of purchase display box or things like that, um, and they could customize it for each store or uh, each customer or even each product within a product line, um, rather than having to do one bland you know box with distinguishing the product based on the actual ink printed on the box. So that, that's something that definitely is uh, being looked at in the industries and, again, another colliding aspect uh, between the 2D and 3D uh, printing industries. Interesting. I know that Dave and I did some uh, research because we were doing a, rep, uh, a webinar and a podcast about the growth areas of opportunity in print, yep. as you remember. And it was projected that in 2017, printing and labeling is forecasted to consume about 52% of total revenue in the print space. The packaging and labeling? Yep. Pack yeah. Did mm -hmm. I, what did I say? Printing? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. packaging and labeling. <laughs> and I know Dave and I were discussing, we're like, we wonder if there's any use cases with 3D printing. And I couldn't, you know, visualize because I just haven't been exposed to right. it. But now as you talk about it, it's so interesting to think about how that's going to revolutionize, you know, the packaging and labeling and all of that. Yeah. So the most simplest way that I think it, it has been revolutionizing that is, uh, like I mentioned, more uh, at, at point of sale. Uh, or at least near point of sale uh, production of packaging. So let's say, for example, there's a small company that, that wants to create a particular box. And like you were saying, you know, folding this box or, or assembling this box uh, might be done or, or might be outsourced to another company. Uh, well, now they, they uh, can create either uh, augmented tools to make that job simpler and able to do uh, closer to the point of sale. Um, or they can create complete new packages, um, something that you typically only see in very expensive products, right? So you might have some $1,000, you know, or $20,000, let's just say, let's just throw the numbers way out there, uh, bottle or perfume. And, you know, so what's, what's the, the big deal about creating a uh, $200 or $300 package for this $20,000 bottle, bottle of perfume? Obviously, ex exaggerating numbers. Right. Um, that cost of creating that packaging uh, becomes a big aspect when you're looking at a $100 bottle of perfume. Well, now you can actually create custom packaging or even custom bottles, which in a, in a large case for, for perfume is the package, um, yeah. for those objects and not spend a fortune doing it. So I think you're going to see a lot more proliferation into those types of aspects within packaging uh, very soon. Mackenzie's mouth is just wide open yeah, right now. This is so cool <laughs> to me. Know what to say. This is really cool. <laughs> can I ask you a question? Can you tell us and our listeners about the material material that you can use? Because I'm uh, thinking question. about all these different products and, and things that you can print. And when we think about printing, I know we think about ink and, and paper and things right. like that. Pixels and, when, and ink. Pixels and ink. <laughs> and when I saw the machine, I, I believe it was just, you know, some sort of cardboardy material. So you're talking about all these different products. What sorts of materials are offered or, or able to be consumed by these technologies? Technologies and equipment. Yeah, so uh, actually, one of the one of the big uh, what I would consider two of the big reasons why 
3D printing hadn't taken off much earlier in its in its uh, um, you know life cycle has been the cost of the technology, which you're you're starting to see a lot more cost breaks uh, as patents are are uh, expiring, as you and as you see a lot more competition in the industry. Uh, but the second thing uh, really was materials. Um, so uh, Stratasys uh, and another company called Object. Uh, merged about uh, three or four years ago, I want to say now. Um, and Object originally got its start out of the 2D printing industry. So Object is a company or was a company that was based out of Israel and uh, originally got its start out of uh, large uh, banner style printing. Um, and so they took that and thought, okay, why can't we build these uh, photo curable materials that are used for banners? and uh, build on top of each other to create the 3D object. So in that type of technology that Stratasys owns, the, uh, the method in which the ink is deposited and whatnot is extremely, extremely similar to the 2D printing industry. Um, it, it also thus then uh, limits the materials that you can actually use. So we like to say that a lot of those materials are engineered simulants. So they're hard plastics, they're rubbers, but not necessarily something you would use largely for uh, production, at least not in a um, standard product that you and I would use on an everyday basis. Um, this customer that I mentioned before that's uh, basing their production off of our technology is actually using uh, that, uh, that technology, the resin-based. Uh, but then you have our other technology, which was the original technology here in the U.S. under Stratasys, and those are thermoplastics. And what thermoplastics are, or pretty much anything that's a plastic around you, are typically like ABSs or polycarbonates. Um, those are all materials that we can actually print on our machines. So the dash on your car is typically a leather-wrapped thermoplastic. Um, the, uh, uh, let's see, the, your computer case, the, the, the uh, uh, cover for your phone, um, you know, things like that are all typically thermoplastics, and that's what our machines can also print. Uh, but then you also have machines that can print metals. So uh, we're also working, <laughs> yeah, we're also working with, uh, with the ability to fuse metal particles together to create uh, metal objects. And that's, that's revolutionizing the whole metals industry as well. So it's, it's really the sky's the limit at, the, at this point from a materials perspective. And I think that's one of the biggest areas that you'll see for development and growth within our industry is, is in the materials development area. So I'm thinking about this printing equipment that's going to consume some, you know, this material and then output or grow some sort of, you know, object or whatever it is. Is there heat involved? Does the, does the material have to go through a heating process to melt down then so it can be built back up? Or how does that work getting the, the raw materials into the actual pr product at the end? You're on fire today, Matt. <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, so it really depends on the technology. Um, so... There's a couple standards within our industry that are starting to more define what uh, machines, what machine categories uh, they fit into. Um, and so, yeah, they're very much technologies that use heat, that use extensive amounts of heat. So the metals uh, technology that I mentioned, uh, a lot of that uses uh, extensive amount of heat because you have to actually fuse the particles uh, of metal together. Right. Um, but then on the other side, um, you know, the, the jetting technology that I mentioned um, still uses heat, but not in the, not in the same context uh, of actually liquefying a hard plastic. Uh, it, it primarily just uses heat to, to help flow uh, a liquid material uh, into position. So that particular technology actually, actually uses chemistry to create hard objects. So it uses a photocurable material. What that means is basically just a material that reacts to, to UV light or light in general. Um, and so our particular chemistries react to a UV process within the machine to then harden or create the actual material that, uh, that you would then handle after the printing process is done. 
So the rubber, the hard plastic, you know, clear materials, things like that. Dave, what do these machines cost? Are, are we talking about something that's on the order of a few hundred thousand to over a million or kind of where are we in terms of cost for these machines? Yeah, it's it's a very broad spectrum. So when you look at what what uh, we like to consider, or at least I like to consider the uh, the bot type machines. So that would be uh, the machines that uh, that you commonly see in the um, uh, uh, news and whatnot. Those machines can run as low as a couple hundred dollars, um, up to typically somewhere around, I don't know, $20,000, something like that, depending on size mm -hmm. and capabilities. Um, <clears throat> usually those machines are less capable than uh, other machines that maybe start at 50,000 and go all the way up to, like on the order of the, the metals machines, those can go up to uh, two to $3 million, depending on how they're configured. Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, the spectrum, the spectrum is very large and, one of the things that I that I uh, typically try to emphasize is that even when um, even when the industry was more focused on prototyping, um, I, I like to emphasize that not one machine could do everything that another machine could do. Yeah, they could both do prototyping, but they did it in a different manner. Yep. Um, so that's that's even more so when you look at the different price ranges of machines. You know those machines that uh, that are a couple hundred dollars to twenty thousand dollars aren't going to do the same thing, or at least not at the same quality and size and whatnot that your one million dollar machine. You know, much like a much like a car, you're not going to expect your you know Toyota Camry to perform the same way as your uh, Mercedes Benz. Two episodes so. in a row where we're talking about cars, huh, Mackenzie? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Last time was Bentleys. <laughs> Okay, so I have a question talking about these products and who's, I don't know if you can answer this question, but who is your customer base? Is it largely made up of printers who then go do services for other companies or is it actual companies that are buying the technology to do things like print these products or these prototypes in-house? So the typical customer for Stratasys specifically um, would be the, the customer that's looking at doing um, printing for their own products. Okay. Um, we do have a, a tremendous amount of customers that are doing it as a, a service. Mm -hmm. um, so Grow It, the company that I owned, uh, the majority of our systems were Stratasys systems, uh, mm -hmm. thus one of the major reasons why I came on with Stratasys. Um, but I would say definitely our core customer base is the customer that is using it for their own uses, um, for their own prototyping or manufacturing aids, uh, as well as production. Um, if you if you look at specifically my customer base, the customers that I work with, um, it's definitely more for the production aids and the production uh, end use products. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned the company Object that that uh, Stratasys acquired a while ago, and mentioned that they were in Israel. So, isn't there a connection, even if it's just geographic? But isn't there a connection between Object and HP's acquisition of Indigo? Because I know Indigo is also headquartered uh, in Israel. What's that connection? So, <laughs> HP's access or uh, acquisition of Indigo, I don't believe, is directly related to the three D printing um, industry. Um, they, I believe they are very close in proximity to Object, um, but primarily um, that segment where Object is located is a, is a high tech and largely focused on printing technologies. Now, HP, as you probably know, has entered into the 3D printing market as well. Um, and so primarily, especially back to where I was talking about where you look at uh, very focused uh, um, types of technologies, uh, HP has decided to uh, adopt um, a bunch of different types of uh, technologies into their own process um, to give benefits in some areas and, and benefits in others. Um, and so uh, that's where you're going to start seeing a lot more specialized technologies um, coming out uh, from us as well as other companies. Yeah, maybe what I'm remembering is that Benny, uh, the gentleman that founded uh, Indigo, was friends with or worked closely with uh, one of the guys or a couple of the guys that started Object. I'm trying to remember the history of it, but I know there's some connection back there. 
it probably has to do with like I like I mentioned, object got its start uh, its, its start originally from the uh, large format yep. 2D printing market. You know, so so that's where the original founders of Object uh, actually came from, and they saw a uh, a potential avenue for creating 3D objects by just modifying the way in which you were actually laying down those uh, you know photosensitive polymers. Uh, that were largely already being used in large format 2D printing. So one of the things that you taught me last time we were together, Dave, is a, is a use case for large format in aerospace that I didn't even have on my radar, wasn't even in my mind. And that's the idea that uh, these companies use large format templates as a way to draw on or um, apply art to airplanes, basically. I don't know how to say it any better than that. But that, that's a use case now where 3D printing is also coming into play. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, definitely one of the, the areas that we're focusing on from a vertical for tooling is for masking and painting. So wow. that's an industry that has been doing things the same way for, for decades and decades, if not centuries. Um, and so, you know, what it typically is made up of is, creating uh, a, a 2D representation of the object you want to uh, uh, paint or print onto a 3D existing 3D object. Um, you would then uh, cut that uh, shape out of that uh, masking material uh, and then lay it up onto the object. So a lot of times, as uh, you may know, when you try stretching or placing uh, a piece of 2D object onto a, onto a 3D surface, uh, it wrinkles, it bunches up in areas, and it doesn't always lay out like you want it to. So there's whole techniques about, you know, cutting in the edges and, and uh, shrinking and, uh, you know, materials that, that you might heat up to be able to shrink the size or whatnot. Typically, that's all once, paint, and then throw away. Now, a lot of our customers are looking at using 3D printing to create perfect stencils uh, using the 3D object shape that you're actually painting or stenciling onto, um, laying it onto the object, painting, and then being able to reuse that object for you know hundreds if not thousands of times. So it's definitely something that that uh, will revolutionize, I think, that area of uh, industries as well. And again, like I mentioned before, you know, aerospace is one of the early adopters of many technologies, and so we've seen that being used in the aerospace industry quite a bit. Amazing. So Dave, when you look ahead, given everything that you've been through over the past um, five years or so and everything that you're seeing at Stratasys, when you look ahead five to 10 years, where do you think this industry will be? What will we be seeing? You know, five to 10 years is, is, uh, is not a lot of time when it comes to uh, physical technology. You know, you'd expect to, to see some huge leaps and bounds um, like you do in the, the computer chip industry or, you know, things like that. Um, but I still think we're going to see a lot of progression. Um, so where I would see a lot more um, uh, of the industry going is more in specialized products. So, um, you know, products that you, you may not have been able to see uh, because of their size, their complexity, their cost um, that you would see in, say, for example, malls. Uh, I think you'll start seeing a lot more 3D printing in your direct day-to-day -day life, even in the next five uh, years, definitely in the next 10 years um, throughout the industry. Now, what I will preface it that with is that, you know, through the real boom, I, I'd say that we've, through the through the typical hype cycle, we're, we're now starting to get Getting, starting to get down into the, the trough of disillusionment. And, uh, you know, we went through a big hype cycle over the last uh, two to three years where people were saying, oh, this is going to be in, you know, everybody's houses and, and things like that. And, and I truly believe that you will eventually see that, much like you see, you know, you saw 2D printers start getting into people's sure. uh, houses. Yep. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily think it'll be in the next even 10 years. I think it'll probably be a little bit further out than that. And so if you could envision, you know, where you typically would go to, uh, I don't know, Home Depot to buy um, a, a new, uh, 
knob or something for you know replacement part for for one of your appliances or something like that. Rather than having to go to Home Depot, you might or you might still go to Home Depot, but instead of having it on the shelf, they would 3D print it for you. Wow. Or even to the extent of if you have a capable printer at your home, you might just download the file at a fee from Home Depot to actually print it at your house. Yeah. So that that's something that I would I would envision, you know, maybe 15 years out in the future or so. Um, but uh, definitely in the next five years, I, I see a lot more customized uh, companies being uh, developed and popping up in your local malls or in your local, you know, uh, corner store or, or strip mall or things like that. My mind is just spinning. Yeah, and I'm just so uh, yeah, I'm so interested <laughs> in knowing if it, if if it's going to shift or how how it's going to break down with are service providers typically going to be the ones that are having this technology or is it going to be the the company that's actually manufacturing or producing mm-hmm. things? You know, I'm interested yeah, to see that, how that's that a good works. question. Yeah, so Dave, what is the interplay there between the service bureaus, companies like yours, and Grow It, and uh, organizations that are uh, bringing this technology in house to do it on their own? So, kind of, how, how do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, so I think just like uh, typical manufacturing, so let's just say injection molding, there's there's different levels of companies that can afford to proliferate the manufacturing process throughout their entire chain and product line. Okay. So you're gonna you're gonna still have customers that are, are I should say companies that can afford to do that and, and have the have the resources to be able to, I don't know, maybe, you know, pop up their own localized manufacturing sites and things like that. But as you know, there's plenty of, of medium uh, to small size companies that, that can't afford to do that. And so what I think is really going to happen is you're going to start seeing a lot of these service bureaus that normally would be one-off job shops. They're going to start becoming more localized, um, you know, larger production run type companies um, where you might have uh, the company itself that designed and, and has the IP around the product um, uh, owning product and you would order it from them, but ultimately they would then source it to someone local to you. And then you would go and pick it up from them, much like Amazon is doing with their order fulfillment, right? So you might order it from Amazon, but then Amazon would actually partner up or have their own localized print shops for you to go and actually pick up the item, uh, when it's done. Gosh, I'm envisioning, you know, when you want to order, I don't know, business cards or something like that, you can go online to their online storefront and order. And now a company could theoretically go to a print their print company and order, you know, see the technology that allows them to visually see the 3D object that they're going to print and then go ahead and have them printed and shipped out to them. That's that's amazing. Yeah, and you see there's, there's a lot of companies already doing that uh, in a niche uh, market avenue. And so that's why I say that I, I think definitely within the next five years, you'll see a lot of digital to print uh, type business models uh, coming out. It's like the web to print model. Yeah, and that's that's why when Dave and I were doing research, we saw, for example, the company Forover, we saw they listed it on their website because mm-hmm. we were looking up 3D printing and printing companies. And so I'm interested, at maybe in six months from now, Dave, we should search again and just see how many companies are starting to right. you know, offer this. or Directly this. attributed yep. to this episode <laughs> Directly right attribu- here. Hopefully there's a new <laughs> avenue of growth for them, which, yeah. is, which is really exciting because a lot of our uh, listener base or fan base are printers. Yep. And so... They we, we try to bring the latest technology, you know, or the latest different trends that they can tap into as an area of opportunity for growth. And over the past, you know, few years, some of the stuff that we talk about is that the print industry has been feeling a downward pressure. So some negative, you know, oh, p- you know, printing on paper is going away. And just now just with packaging and this, it seems like there's a whole new opportunity and yep. wave that people can catch on to yep. as they start to look ahead. So that's, yep. that's actually really exciting. This is inspirational. We're all excited now. I know. We're like, we're like puppies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is a perfect opportunity for 2d printing companies to look at 3d printing you know they've already got the business model in place to fulfill you know a lot of what we just discussed that uh, they already have the mindset of how to interact with the customers on you know maybe small order uh, type uh, uh, operations uh, and so you know 2d versus 3d has very small differences when it comes to um, the actual uh, technology. Uh, And then ultimately it's just the media that you're printing on. So, you know, you're printing on an actual object versus a piece of paper or, 
you know, a, uh, um, uh, a shirt, you know, even if, if some of your, uh, fan, your uh, fan base is, you know, doing custom printing on t-shirts, you know, that's another, that's a whole nother industry as you uh, look at, if you uh, Google, say, for example, 4D printing. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We're, we're still trying to figure out 3D printing, Dave. Don't skip the 4 or the 5D here. Dave Stacey. <laughs> Actually, there's this, there's this little gif that I've seen that makes this face that Dave made. I'm gonna oh, really? Oh, yeah, I'll put it. <laughs> and it's a squirrel. It's really funny. I look like a squirrel. <laughs> I'm going to show you it. <laughs> but go on. But but you know no, to be to be serious from the standpoint of you know your fan base you know especially if there are printing companies out there that are doing clothing, um, you know 4D printing is the concept of taking 3D printed objects that then uh, have elements of their materials that can basically shape shift into different objects. So whatever it may be, you know applying an electrical current and they you know shift into a different uh, form crazy. uh you know it's not necessarily it's not necessarily like a blob that creates you know a chair that then goes back into a blob not that you know crazy but ultimately something that say for example is flat you apply a current and then forms into a box you know so so those are that's another thing that you know largely from the the uh the shirt or sorry not shirt but the clothing industry you know, you, you hear about uh, smart wearable devices. Um, you know, I truly believe 3D printing will have a, a, a huge impact on uh, smart wearable devices um, from a 2D to 3D printing uh, aspect on, uh, on clothing. Let's say somebody listening is thinking, all right, I, I want to invest in this area and I want to, I want to expand my business to include this. Uh, let's say it's a business owner. What does he or she need to think about with respect to, let's put aside the capital expenditure for the equipment for a moment. What does he or she need from a human resources perspective? What kind of people um, or skills or training do you need in your organization or do you need to acquire in order to be able to not only um, build these or uh, you know create these things, but also to be able to sell them and talk intelligently to customers? Yeah, so um, di two different uh, core business models that, that uh, differentiate what you need. So if you're just a service um, looking to print other people's files, um, it's, it's fairly straightforward. We're actually uh, starting to launch our own softwares uh, that can ultimately help in that entire workflow. Uh, our industry has been uh, fairly fragmented as far as you know, who you could buy softwares from to help in that workflow. I was just and uh, and Stratasys is now yeah, now starting to uh, so we just we just announced a product called GrabCAD Print. Mm. Um, so Stratasys acquired the company called GrabCAD uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, um, and it is now uh, largely our software arm uh, that we are uh, developing and launching new software products uh, to help in that workflow. So let's say, for example, you're just that print service company. Really, all you need to be able to do is take that file that your customer sends you and be able to feed it properly into your system. It's, it's, it's pretty much as simple as that. Much like creating, you know, getting a PDF file or other format file uh, from a customer and printing it on a 2D object. There's a little nuances in between there as far as making sure that, you know, the files are fixed properly and much like a, a standard 2D printing company, you'd want to make sure that you're shades match up your colors match up properly mm -hmm. you know so very very similar uh workflows uh in that aspect but i was just going to say it's like when you think about um going online and ordering something maybe the pre-press department has to go in and look at the tech you know look at the, the order that you've placed and and consume it or put it in production it sounds like exactly like they say like the same thing exactly yep so uh i i don't think uh largely from my personal experience that you know, someone wanting to get into 3, 3D printing, like you said, Dave, that uh, already has a lot of that workflow and a lot of those uh, specific individuals and expertise uh, in place uh, would need to hire anybody new. They, those individuals might need to be a little more trained up on the specific softwares. Um, obviously, you know, oh, you press this button to do that and this button to do that. Um, but that's a pretty easy process. And we largely do a lot of that training ourselves. 
um, for our customers. Um, but then if you move into the other business model of a company wanting to print their own objects, that were, that's where then it definitely gets more specialized to the technology. Um, so they would, they would an individual that could actually design and draw mm -hmm. a 3D object. And that, that becomes somewhat specialized. You know, there's a lot of freeware softwares, uh, you know, SketchUp and others uh, that can be used, but don't always output good printable objects. Um, so that's where definitely that, that uh, requires a little more schooling, uh, a little more um, uh, expertise on that capability. So depending on the product you're actually wanting to launch, you know, a good industrial design individual would know how to properly do that. Um, or if you're looking at designing and creating something that's a little more mechanical, uh, you know, a mechanical engineer like myself or, um, or something like that uh, typically goes through, this, through the schooling to design in 3D. So that's the difference in the workflow that, that would require a little more uh, expertise and, and uh, special training. I actually have an, I just got an interesting idea. So my brother, I don't know if you know this, but I have a brother and he goes to Northwestern right now. And he's actually staying this summer at Northwestern to do research on using 3D printing to create stints. So, you know, the medical device that goes inside your body. And that just, you know, immediately sparked that when you said you were an engineer and I was thinking of my brother and that's, it's just unbelievable. Now, this is something that they're, you know, exploring and doing research on, I guess, you know, this generation is, is at the forefront of that research. So that's just you want to do a shout out to your brother? Is that what <laughs> no, this is about? Hey, it is his birthday <laughs> no, this I'm month. No, is it really? yeah, it is. Okay. The 29th. But um, no, that's that's amazing. I just it I is. completely didn't connect the two. And then yeah. as you were talking about it, I was like, whoa, that's exactly what people in college right now are. You know, yep. that's where their research dollars and, and time is being spent. So it's obviously something that's going to make that education universities feel is going to make a huge impact on in the world as a whole. I was going to say the second idea is right now, I don't know how much you know about our product or marketing automation in general, but right now there's this huge push from just, you know, one printed piece, you know, when people would print things and that would be their marketing. And now it's um, connecting to the online world. So phone, email, text, social media, things like that. And in the workflow, you can typically, or in our software, you can print or have on demand print a piece of material or a piece of paper and send it out. So a direct mail postcard or something. I'm thinking way down in the future, you can have, if you're, if these, the thing that you're selling is high ticket and has mm. been enough value, that you can, you could print, let's say it's a car or something, a really expensive car. You can print a little proto, have it part of your workflow where an on demand prototype is sent. Let's say someone, you know, gets to the test drive and is at 30, points or whatever they're right. close to buying you right. can send them on if it's demand. for a bentley that's three hundred four hundred thousand dollars <laughs> right no seriously yeah no, but seriously and it can <laughs> yeah. be on demand or as, tesla. Well, as part of the multi-channel workflow yep. now instead of just sending out printed pieces you can actually do a prototype or something yep. sure whoa this is crazy yep <laughs> i'm excited and so here's here's a here's a cool here's a cool uh, application that i saw and I, I i can't remember exactly uh who the uh, uh who the customer is that that actually implemented this but uh it was to drive customers to their store at a specific time, uh, at a specific location. Um, <clears throat> and so what they did is they used online media to announce this particular discount. And what they did was they 3D printed an object and, and mounted it outside in front of their store that only at a very specific time when the sun was in a very specific location did a shadow get cast down on the ground QR code for discounts in their store at that time. So it's what? something that they're using digital media and 3D printing to drive their customers to their specific location at a specific time when they want them there, when they feel their best, you know, opportunity for sales is, you know, that type of thing. So uh, I can't remember who that is, but you can, you can probably find that example online. Damn. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah, me and Dave are so excited over here. This is really cool. You, it, it's cool to have you, not because, I mean, not just because you are obviously someone who was at the forefront of this this growth opportunity in this wave, but you're so knowledgeable about the subject and the science behind it, and the from a business perspective as well as from a technological perspective. It's it's you're you're a pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> we huge like asset for Stratasys. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you. Yep. This is, Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so so. I got one more question, Dave. This is a this is a crazy question. I think okay. you already kind of answered it, but where are we with respect to being able to print body parts? 
So I'm glad you brought that back up because I was going to segue off of uh, Mackenzie's uh, uh, comment about her brother. So uh, there's a company in San Diego. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how well they're doing and, and you know where their technology is, but uh, called Organovo. Um, and uh, the funny thing about that company is that they were a customer of Grow It. And so we were 3D printing parts for what they create is a uh, living tissue cell 3D printer. So they are 3D printing actual, you know, body parts. Which body parts? I think they've been focusing on like the kidney or something like that. Um, I think they're still in pre-release of the actual technology, but we are extremely close. So I could get a new brain pretty soon. Oh, please don't. You're really smart. <laughs> I need you. <laughs> You might you might not be as uh, might not be as capable with 3D printed brain, but uh, you know definitely something like for example an ear, um, you know, or uh, you know some kind of uh, tissue member that you know gets damaged in a fire, or you know you think about uh, a lot of people's facial reconstruction after after uh, you know catastrophic events, you know that's that's definitely something that uh, uh, that that industry is going after. So. Full body parts, like an entire, you know, arm with bone and muscle and things like that. Uh, I think that's quite a ways off. But uh, things that are are just the actual tissue and skin, um, I think you're going to start getting uh, very, very soon uh, items like that. You know, Holy how moly. quickly it gets adopted by insurance companies right. and stuff is a whole nother question. Um, but uh, that's that's here and now. Crazy. Wow. Well. Uh, Dave, where can people find out more about you or connect with you directly? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions after this. Maybe, what... maybe you'll be getting influx of emails from me. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> where can they connect with you and talk to you directly if, if they're so inclined? Well, definitely my LinkedIn uh, page, uh, which is something that I probably need to update uh, more, more frequently. Uh, but they can reach out to me there. Um, uh, or you can reach out to me at david.garola at stratasys.com yeah we'll put that in mm -hmm. the show notes definitely yeah yeah but uh typically you know especially since i focus on uh uh vertical industries and right now i'm largely focusing on aerospace um you know i might not be able to get back to them uh, as quickly as uh, they might like so uh there's there's also a contact uh, us page uh, on the stratasys website um so they can go they can go to uh, www Stratasys, that's S-T-R-A-T-A-S-Y-S dot com. Um, and they can contact us directly through there. And we typically get back very quickly through our inside sales uh, channel and whatnot. So Awesome. Well, Mackenzie, do you have any other questions? No. I think I we covered like, everything that yeah, we need to like, at least for like now, right? I we might eventually have to circle back with you. Yeah, I think so. Once we get some are. of the questions in and mm -hmm. hear what people are, are wondering about. Or once we actually wrap our minds around the yeah. 3D printing. I mean, David went to 4D and <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I know, dude, I'm <laughs> hold up. Let's go back to 3D first. <laughs> yeah, you've been you've been amazing. I really appreciate you spending time with us. Absolutely. I envisioned some some minds definitely blowing up over there. So. Yeah, mind, mine's on <laughs> it fire. Blew, it blew my <laughs> mind up when I, I, when like I uh, you know, originally got into, into 3D printing. You know, it's... Uh, it was something that that I took back to school coming from uh, uh, my first employer, Northrop Grumman, and none of my classmates, uh, you know, knew anything about it. And it just it was such a cool technology that uh, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, cool things come out of the industry, you know, over the next uh, decade. Awesome. Yeah. C can we keep you forever? You're really smart. I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd love I'd love to come back on, you know, if you guys if you guys uh, have the need to, I'd love to come back on and, you know, maybe even pull some other individuals in from Stratasys if you guys feel the need to. That'd be wonderful, Dave. Well, thanks so much for your time, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Well, hot dog. I don't know what else to say. Hot diggity dog. Hot diggity dog. <laughs> that was an amazing interview. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Mackenzie and I had a great time. Uh, Dave left his uh, contact information for us, and you're going to have that in the show notes. 
But what we'd like to do is get all of your questions and comments for Dave in our blog. Yeah, especially because he said he's pretty busy and sometimes he doesn't get to those. So if you go ahead and leave him on our blog, we'll make sure that um, he gets those because we have a direct funnel of communication yep. to him. Lucky us. Yep. So leave <laughs> all your questions and comments there on the blog. Of course, if you do want to get directly in contact with him, feel free to do that. The other thing, we need more of your fuel. We want more feedback from you. So leave us a review, please, in mm -hmm. iTunes um, or wherever else you're comfortable, but we'd prefer them uh, there in iTunes as that gives Mackenzie and I what we need to uh, continue to bring you this great content. Yes. All righty. And with that, we'll see you next week. Have a great rest of the day. Bye-bye.